Well, I'd like to turn with you this evening to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and read verse 4 and 5. These most famous of words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. 2023 has opened for us. The curtain has drawn. The year stretches out before us. What do we see? Do we see opportunities and fears? Do we see dangers and blessings? Well, here is the greatest of the commands of God. And I want to wrap this command around your hearts, to write it on your doorposts and to set it between your eyes as the Lord commands us. The scene in Luke's gospel began with a lawyer probing the Lord Jesus Christ, testing him as he ought not to have done. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? How shall I obtain it? How can I earn it? How can I ensure it? And the Lord Jesus Christ points or allows him to point to this law. It's very likely the lawyer was only repeating words he'd heard from the Saviour or heard reported from the Saviour because, of course, this is the Lord Jesus' classic summary of the whole of God's law. And uh, it's likely he picked it up and he now repeats it. Now, there is something very interesting in this passage. Three times in this passage that we read from Deuteronomy chapter 5 through into 6, the word commandments appears in the plural, but in the original it appears in the singular. The first example is in verse 31 of chapter 5. I will speak unto thee all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments, but the word commandment there is the commandment, singular. The same occurs in verse 1. Now these are the commandments it occurs in the singular. The statutes and judgments are plural. And then the third occasion is at the end, verse 25, it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all this commandment in the original. If you don't believe me, look it up later. <laughs> but it's very interesting that that should be the case. And uh, incidentally, verse 2, where you also see commandments, is in the plural, where it follows statutes. It's almost as though this, there is a, a summary commandment being referred, a summary of all of the law, all of the Ten Commandments which have just been given to Moses and to the people of Israel, that all of them are summed up in just one commandment, and of course that is to love God. In the family of the commandments, here is the king, here is the son. As we read in Psalm 19... In verse uh, 9, I think it is. Yes, the fear of the Lord is, in cl is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And again, the original there suggests a kind of unity of all the judgments and commandments of God in one. The law is love. What God wants, what God delights to see in us, is love. Love, of course, primarily to him. Here is the anchor. 
Here is the essence. Here is the summary of all God's will for us. And lawyer, probably after being prompted by the Lord Jesus, adds another commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Summarizing all of the second table of the commandments of God, which of course shows us that we do love God. It's the proof positive of love, not just words, but actions, not just towards God, but towards our fellow neighbors. But in many ways, this second commandment is like a chick sitting under the wing of its mother hen. And uh, the chick will not survive without its mother hen. The little commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, is absolutely dependent on the big commandment, to love the Lord your God. Now, what does he command then? Here it is in verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And in Luke, the lawyer, as is appropriate to the Greek, because the, the meaning of the languages is slightly different, He adds the word, all your mind. Now, uh, I think we've thought about this before, but there is an interesting link between the unity of God, God's oneness, and the unity of God's people. And we've looked at this very briefly in this chapter before. But there's also an interesting link between the unity of the commands of God and the unity of each single person. We see this referred to in the Psalms, for example, where the psalmist says, unite my heart to fear your name. Think about it. If different parts of a nation are at war with each other as a result of disobedience to God, usually, then there is friction, there is disunity, there is a fractured nation. In many ways, there is more nation than one. Our own United Kingdom is a very good example of that. But even in ancient Israel, we can see it. Sometimes the kings were at odds with the prophets or the priests were at odds with the king. Sometimes they were right, sometimes they were wrong. And different parts of our being are sometimes at war with each other, within us. Sometimes our desires fight against our mind. Sometimes our imagination is, uh, uh, draws away from our strength. Sometimes our conscience stirs up against our remembrance of old acts or of our current thoughts. There is a battle, there is a war raging within us and around us when we disobey God's law. And God wants us to love him with all our being, all that we are, all that we can be. Now these various different terms, the heart, the soul, the might, they're overlapping terms. They're not like distinct watertight compartments. They're not like different rooms in a house. They're more like overlapping systems. If you think of the church, we have an electrical system, we have a water system, and there are sometimes times when they interact very closely, especially in the kitchen, if you think about it. Or sometimes the colors in a room, sometimes the colors will merge or blur into each other and one will subtly affect another. Or to give you another example, if you think of a car as it's accelerating, you'll hear different sounds merging into each other. So the sound of the engine and the sound of the wheels and perhaps the sound of the brake will all form different sounds, but they merge and they overlap. 
And that's rather like these terms. They're not separate, distinct, absolute compartments to be looked at uh, in, in complete distinction. Well, let's think about this then. What is this command about? First of all, the heart. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Here is the center of our being. That's what the word heart means in Hebrew. The center, the hub. Not just the feelings. We have a rather sentimental view of the heart nowadays, but both in the Greek and the Hebrew, the heart was not just the seat of love and the affections, and certainly not just a physical pump that could be replaced. No, it was the seat of control. It was the place of grief. It was the place of joy. It was the place of desire. It was a place of perceptions, of thoughts, of understanding, of reasoning, of imagination, even of conscience. At the end of Pentecost, it says in the book of Acts, their hearts were pricked when they heard Peter's sermon. It's the, it's the place of our intentions, our priorities, and our purpose, of our will, and of our being. It is at the very core of who we are, our heart, the center of our life, our first priority. But often we see in the scriptures, believers even, those who follow the Lord, are lacking in heart, heart love towards the Lord. Do you remember the Apostle Paul's lament? He says, of believers, of a church, all seek their own, not the things that are Jesus Christ's. Or again, we've been reminded even this morning about Joshua and Caleb, of 600,000 men of war coming out of Egypt. How many entered the land of Canaan? Only two followed the Lord wholly with all their hearts. What about the word soul? Well, here the word literally means breath, nefesh, and it animates and gives life to the person. What do we spend our breath on? What do we talk about? What do we give our, our what animates us? What gives us motion? And again, there's also a sense of duration here. When we say, as long as I live, as long as I have breath, I will do such and such. Or when we give our marriage vows, till death us do part, we love with all the soul. When this grows cold, we begin to forget God. We begin to neglect his ways. I wonder if you remember Micaiah and his priest, Jonathan, in the book of Judges. Jonathan was the grandson of Moses. And they seemed to have some love for God. They seemed to have some heart for God. They were willing to spend money. They were willing to spend trouble and time seeking him out. They were very upset when their silver was taken away from them. But they were so misguided, so wayward. And they neglected his most basic commands. They had no real soul love for God. Perhaps you remember the old prophet at Bethel up in northern Israel. Once he'd loved the Lord, once he'd served the Lord, perhaps fervently and spoken for him, but now he'd grown old and his heart was stubborn and he'd forgotten his ways. And even his own sons, we read, had become idolaters for they were there at the quarry when the young prophet came to warn the king. The old prophet was pricked by this young man who came from Judah into life. And he was amazed and jealous and concerned. But even him, the old man, leads astray. He'd lost his soul love. 
He'd remember, he'd lost that animating love for God. And there's this third term, strength or might. This is the word that's used in the original for emphasis. If you want to say something's very something, this is the word you use, strength. Perhaps you're engaged in a telephone conversation with some relative, and suddenly the tone, you can hear another phone ringing in the background. They say, sorry, dear, hang on for a moment. I must speak to so-and-so. You've been put on hold. Well, your second priority, and you know it, <laughs> and you feel it. You're not really loved with strength, not as much strength as you might have preferred. And your, your other caller has a clear set of priorities. Where do we set God in our set of priorities? Are we distracted by money, by worries, by relationships, perhaps by entertainment? I remember when I was in uh, Morocco with Fauzi Ayoub, one of our very promising young contacts, I won't give his name, but uh, we thought he was, he was uh, very remarkable in his devotion to the Lord. I remember him in Casablanca talking to this young lady who came up and sidled up to him and started talking. She was a very attractive young lady, and I thought, uh-oh, here comes trouble. <laughs> and then Fauzi called him, and he said to him, so-and-so, can you attend to this? Immediately he left her. Immediately. There was no hesitation at all. I was very impressed by his prioritizing. He loved Fauzi's word with emphasis, with strength. He put him top priority. He underlined, underscored. His love was emphatic, and that's how God wants our love to be. We must get here to hear the gospel. We must seek him out to pray. We must seek him out and serve, not for service's sake uh, or just for the notice that others give us, but for his dear sake. Do you remember Samson? Samson served with strength and with might. He served till he was exhausted and fiercely thirsty. And yet, even Samson became rather wayward, and his first priority began to lack as his life led on. Do you remember those rather fateful words of his seductress, Delilah? She said, how can you love me when your heart is not with me? And those words might much better have been directed to Samson's love for God. So he loved him with his strength, but his heart began to lack. And then the Laodiceans, neither hot nor cold. They were saying the right things. Perhaps they were thinking some things that were right, where was their fervor? Where was their emphasis? Where was their zeal? And then fourthly, the New Testament adds this word, mind. So add another dimension. In the New Testament, as the lawyer quotes the commandment, he adds the word mind, which literally means to think through, like a cow. Think about it. As the cow chews the cud, chews and chews and chews and then swallows and then regurgitates and then chews again, that is processing, working through, digesting thoroughly, and that's how the mind works, thinking something through. It's often used of the imagination, and of course we know how the imagination churns through a particular idea again and again. Well, we can think of those who loved without, with the mind, but they didn't have much heart. 
Do you remember Ahithophel? He was David's counsellor. He was attracted to David's court, perhaps by his power. What a mind that man had. How perceptive he was. How he could predict the future. How he could see things to come. And that amazing mind of his was given to David's service. He loved David, at least for a while, with his mind. But in comes a new king, and he has new loyalties. His heart was lacking. He loved David for a while with his mind, but there wasn't much heart. No deep affection, no real love. Well, friends, when we consider this commandment, we might well ask, is it then impossible to love God? Must must we be sleepless all the time? Must we be restless? Must it be a ceaseless life of activity and energy, always, to love God with all the heart in such a way? Well, let me take you to northern Israel and study the life of a young teenager in a quiet and peaceable family, laboring with his stepfather uh, in his ordinary work, nothing very unusual about him. The neighbors might have noticed. His brothers and sisters loved him, and uh, he was, uh, they could find no fault in him, uh, except perhaps he was rather stubborn on matters of principle, and uh, he would insist on protecting the younger ones from the older ones' bullyings. He had an impressive knowledge of the scripture. He could ask some very striking questions, and he was admired and loved and respected but it seemed a very ordinary life. He was perfect, he was careful, he was industrious, he was caring. We're looking at the Lord Jesus Christ before his ministry, 30 years of quietness, of obscurity. And yet he says, I always do those things that please my father. 30 years of obscure perfection. And then look at his love when his ministry began. Then he gave his whole strength and labor to his father's work. So much so that his friends and his family say he seems to have taken leave of his senses. He seems to have, he seems to have changed. And then he often goes hungry. He labors to do the father's will. Sometimes he's exhausted. And of course, at the end, he cries out, it is finished. It is done. His breath, his spirit, his soul, his words, flawless and full of wonder. They arrested those who came to arrest him. They marveled at the things he said. They were words of grace, words of lowliness, words that lifted up the needy and those in the dust. And also words of stinging reproof to the proud and the scholarly and the self-confident. He was animated with zeal and desire for his father's home. And in his daily uh, conduct, whether he was frustrated, whether he was tempted, whether he was scorned, he was constantly faithful, true and unswervably good and wise. He loved God with all his strength. He loved God with all his soul he loved God with all his heart. As you look through the Gospel of John, you see this again and again. What primarily motivated the Lord Jesus Christ was his love to his Father, his Father's will. Of course he loves us, he loved us, but look at his motivation 
again and again he mentions this for my father's sake for his father's sake and his will he he cheerfully gives up his whole life and his body to the most savage treatment to execution to torture to the most brutal mocking and uh, treatment he gave all his life all his strength and all his soul to his father god his whole being his whole life was a holocaust a sacrifice a burnt offering of sweet savor to god he loved god with all his heart all his soul and all his strength here is the true heir of eternal life this is what life looks like a life of love a life of devotion a life of sacrifice but what about this command and us how does this command search us how does it examine us well friends when we consider our own hearts and when we look into the, the light of this commandment how cold we seem have we loved god with all our heart in 2022 we seem so cold we seem so stony we seem so dull we seem to have loved the world so much more than the father we seem to have been attracted to the television or the internet to the news rather than to prayer rather than to the word our hearts seem to be so attracted to the flesh we seem to be so much more moved by fleshly things than by his holy spirit our mind was so quick to be filled with doubts with suspicions and so quick to forget his blessings our soul so reluctant to seek him so shy to speak about him so ashamed of his ways and his work so fickle so quick to turn aside from him and our strength how many times we've done things half half done we've left them as bodge jobs how little our fervor how cold and lazy our service how slow our feet to come well friends as we uh, seem to delight so readily in earthly things in empty things we seem to be so concerned to give our hearts to trinkets and not to the giver to beauties but not to the author of beauty to lovers but not to true love so little real love and pleasure in him so carnal so distant to god by nature and the more we consider it the more we consider this command the more distant we seem from heaven how could we ever inherit eternal life by such a commandment it seems to us not a bridge but a wall it seems to us not a gate but a barrier the more we think about it the higher and further heaven appears from us the more it condemns us the more it exposes us the more it reveals us and shows us for what we really are where is the gate why does the lord jesus christ commend the lawyer for pointing to this commandment well the commandment also shows us as all the commandments do something of god's nature to us god loved us with all his mind with all his eternal mind the father and the son planned and covenanted in the spirit to deliver and to pardon us long before earth itself was born let alone us 
detailed, exact timetable was worked out. The manifold and precise purposes of God were mapped out, thought through and considered. Many great powers and operations came together. Many of us marvelled at the Queen's funeral, did we not? We see all that clockwork operation of so many different parts moving and different people coming together. We marvelled at that extraordinary piece of careful planning. But that was nothing, friends. Nothing compared to the Exodus and nothing at all compared to the clockwork of the cross. God's great mind and thought conceived our deliverance and our rescue in love. How to call us, how to warn us, how to awaken us, how to constrain us sweetly to come. And then God loved us with all his strength. Far greater power and might was exercised in saving sinners from sin than in raising the dead or in healing the blind or in opening up the Red Sea uh, or crushing great armies, great works of power, massive works of power. Even the creation of the world and the sending out of those spinning nebulae into space billions of light years away was a lesser work than this. Why? Because there was such little resistance. There was such little stubbornness to overcome. Such tremendous selfishness to melt. What surgeon would operate on a patient who resists? Well, I had a patient once, I've told some of you about her, who was cutting herself very badly, and she ended up with a dreadful gash in the arm. It was really one of the most terrible wounds I've seen for a long time. And we pleaded with her, please let us stitch it up. But she refused. And the surgeon said, until she consents, we can't do anything with her. God might have left us like that, but he didn't. He woos us. He persuades us. He calls us. He constrains us sweetly by his spirit. And he loved us with all his soul. All his breath and purpose was focused on us if we turn to him, if we come to him, if we ask him. He shows us he has ever had us as the apple of his eye. Every word, every whisper of his word is calculated to warn us, to counsel us, to guide us into life and to warn us of the fire ahead if we refuse. He loved us with his heart, all his heart. The Father loves us as he loves the Son. We dare not believe that were it not specifically asserted by the Saviour himself, but it is. He loves us as he loved his Son, for he gave him up for us all if we humble ourselves and turn to him. And the Son loves us for his Father's sake. He yielded his own blood for us not a pint, not two, not even three, but all his lifeblood, all his heart. He makes himself a burnt offering for us. And then the Saviour owns and embraces what he hates most of all for us. He owns it. He enables us to escape from the snare of sin. He became our sin-bearer. Paul even says he became our sin. He bore our guilt. He was wrapped with our shame and our disgrace. And he was punished in our place that we might be freed. 
He wraps it around him like a garment with shame that he might bear what justice requires for us, bore all the judgment and anger of God against us. Do you not see how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have loved us? Have loved us. The Holy Spirit draws and woos and calls us with all God's loving, all God's tenderness. The Spirit warns us, pleads with us, and urges us to turn draws us into the circle of God's fellowship and communion. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit loved us with all God's heart, soul, strength, and mind as one. He, punished, he poured out his own life that we might taste and know his love. Is our heart still cold? Is our mind still dull? Is our strength still feeble? What about that verse at the end of chapter 6, which we read? It shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all this commandment. And I'm reading the literal. Well, where is our righteousness? Is it in us? What have we got to bring but rags? What have we got to bring but a few scraps? It's all in the cross. There is the fire that will never die. There is the love that will never fade. There is the kindness towards us that will never grow cold. Our only righteousness is all his righteousness. He gave his merit. He gave his standing. He gave his own righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ, for us. And here is love. Not that we loved God but that God loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation for our sin. We can never earn or inherit his love. God has to give it to us freely, undeservedly. We can come as beggars with empty hands, but we must receive this free gift, this free love. Make 2023 the year of love, the year of God's love to you, and we trust your feeble and unworthy response to his love. This is his gift. This is his love. This is the love of his son. Love him with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. For this is life. This is eternal life. And this is how he has loved us. Let's finish this evening by singing hymn number 258. Uh, 258, which uh, is not a picture of Christ's example to us only. It much better captures his whole and complete salvation for us. Hymn number 258. O perfect life of love, all, all in, is finished now. Mm.